This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu to download or purchase this book. The Philosophy of the Christian Curriculum, Russus J. Rushtuni, Ross House Books, Vallecito, California. Part 1 Chapter 4 The Curriculum and the Resurrection As we have seen, a liberal arts curriculum is a course or path in the arts of freedom. Since the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a witness to the defeat of sin and death and the restoration of the redeemed man in Christ to dominion, it follows that the fact of the resurrection is central to a liberal arts curriculum. St. Paul speaks of, quote, the power of his resurrection, end quote, Philippians 3.10, quote, the power or efficacy, end quote, of his resurrection is the justification and regeneration inseparable from it which lie at the entrance to the Christian life. End quote. According to Lenski, quote, This power of Christ's resurrection became Paul's personal blessed gnosis. He was made to know Jesus Christ as quote, his Lord, end quote, verse 8, for Jesus appeared to Paul to bring him to contrition and to faith, not to damn him with his omnipotence. Quote, the power of his resurrection, end quote, means that by the resurrection he was made both Lord and Christ. Acts 5.31 Made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and ransoming. 1 Corinthians 1.30 quote, The power of his resurrection, end quote, is the seal of his redemption. God accepted his ransom by raising Christ and by glorifying him, so that all who by faith embrace this Christ, who died and rose again for our justification, Romans 4, 24 and 25, are justified by God, have, quote, the righteousness from God on the basis of faith, end quote, verse 9. This is, quote, the surpassingness of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, end quote, end quote. This, quote, power of the resurrection, end quote, is the foundation of the Christian life. It involves not only power, but also resurrection, not only a new and redeemed life in Christ, but also a growth in terms of the principle of the resurrection. The fall of man was into sin and death. The redemption of man is into righteousness and life towards a purpose. A humanistic and relativistic education has no transcendental frame of reference. It has no goal or purpose outside of man. Education, then, has as its goal education for man's sake, for a better society for man. The problem then arises, who shall determine what is best for all mankind? Is this determined by consensus or by a majority vote? If so, what about the 49% or 1% who dissent from the majority? Education then ceases to be for their sake, except by imposition and coercion. A humanistic philosophy of education alternates between anarchism and totalitarianism. It can assert an independence, not only of men, but of areas of study, art for art's sake, knowledge for knowledge's sake, pure scientific research, as apart from pragmatic and industrial research, and so on. What determines then the value of such an approach? A bare assertion, an act of faith, is all that is involved. Moreover, the purely existentialist purpose is really no purpose at all, but rather whim. Purpose implies transcendence, a goal to be attained, 
and inadequacy in the present situation or condition of man, and therefore a determination to reach a superior place. The word comes from pro, before pono, place, and it is thus a call for man to go beyond himself to an established goal. In an existentialist world, purpose in this true sense of the word is impossible, in that motivation is purely out of the biology of man and the impulses of the moment, is purely out of the biology of man and the impulses of the moment, unconditioned by prior goals, religious instruction, or social expectations. The result is what whim then governs man, a, quote, sudden, unexpected, and unreasonable deviation of the mind from its usual or natural course, caprice, freak, end quote. A Christian liberal arts curriculum is therefore a purposive curriculum in terms of the doctrine of the resurrection and the calling of man to exercise dominion and to subdue the earth. Certain requirements are therefore basic to a curriculum which is based on sound theology. First, the student must be enabled to grow in his dominion over himself as a necessary first step towards exercising dominion over the earth. A humanistic curriculum can be, as we have noted, either totalitarian or anarchistic. It can suppress the student or use him merely as a social resource to be used by the state, or it can allow him an anarchistic self-expression which is destructive of both learning and discipline. According to Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. End quote. Kidner comments, quote, the training prescribed is literally, quote, according to his, the child's way, end quote, implying it seems respect for his individuality and vocation, though not for his self-will, see verse 5 or 14.12. But the stress is on parental opportunity and duty. Train means elsewhere to, quote unquote, dedicate a house, Deuteronomy 25, temple, 1 Kings 8.63, etc. Possibly a trace of this meaning clings to it. End quote. Fritsch also calls attention to the fact that train elsewhere means, quote, to dedicate, end quote, while not seeing it as so intended here. There is no good reason to deny the validity of the basic meaning of, quote, to dedicate, end quote. The text requires that we dedicate a child to the way of his individuality and vocation under God. To dedicate means to set apart or devote. The purpose of education is, is in part a separation and a devotion of the student in terms of his aptitudes and abilities. It means also a discipline in the same. It means also a discipline in the same direction. An important aspect of education is to provide a child with an opportunity to find his aptitudes and calling and to develop himself in terms of them. There can be no dominion without the tools of dominion. A student who comes to know his aptitudes and is disciplined in the use of them is clearly prepared for dominion over himself and over the world. Clearly too, the basic tool of dominion is a knowledge of scripture. As a result, the teaching of the Bible is a basic part of a Christian curriculum in order that the child can have the finest discipline and guidance directly from scripture rather than second hand. The results of such teaching are highly productive of a self-disciplined character the Reverend T. Robert Ingram reports a delightful story in this connection. At St. Thomas Episcopal School in Houston, Texas, children in the early grades memorize proverb after proverb, 
until the whole book of Proverbs is committed to memory. On one occasion, third grade boys were on the playground when a teacher confronted one boy with an offence committed earlier. The guilty boy immediately pointed to a second boy, saying, He made me do it. At this point, a third boy stepped up and remarked, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Proverbs 1.10 This is, of course, one of the advantages of a knowledge of Scripture. It enables us to understand ourselves and others, as well as to know God. Second, a Christian liberal arts curriculum should enable the student to exercise dominion over the world. The purpose of the Christian school should be to prepare generation after generation to dominate every area of life and thought. A monastic education is not Christian. It is not the legitimate purpose of the Christian school to prepare the child or student for a retreat from the world. Too often, however, this is the case with quote-unquote evangelical churches and schools. The student is summoned to withdraw from the world into a cloistered area in which the person is insulated from the problems of the world. Usually, the evangelical student groups at many colleges and universities are the most difficult of all groups to speak to. Some of the students have drifted into a compromising neutralism. Others accept the faith of the world and they attempt to combine, for example, creationism and evolution and are unwilling to hear an uncompromising statement of Christian faith. Or they have retreated into a sterile pietism which substitutes prayers and the singing of childish choruses for systematic theological thinking. Not surprisingly, many, quote, evangelical, end quote, conference grounds are now being called, or the sessions are called, retreats. The term has been borrowed from monastic life, and it means that Protestantism has surrendered all too extensively its militancy for pietistic retreat. The student must be schooled to see every legitimate area as an area of necessary dominion. He must be taught that the people of God must assert the crown rights of King Jesus over every area of life. There can be no compromise nor any diminution of the school. A relativistic philosophy will ultimately work to destroy every area of knowledge. By destroying meaning, it will destroy the validity of study and research, as even a non-Christian scientist has observed. Third, the goal of Christian education cannot be exhaustive knowledge, but rather principled knowledge. According to Van Til, quote, The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, quote, How does Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executeth the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. Now, if we recall that man set for himself a false ideal of knowledge when he became a sinner, that is, he lost true wisdom, we may say that in Christ man was reinstated to true knowledge. In Christ man realised that he is a creature of God and that he cannot seek for comprehensive knowledge. Christ is our wisdom. He is our wisdom, not only in the sense that he tells us how to get to heaven, he is our wisdom too in teaching us true knowledge about everything concerning which we should have knowledge. End quote. In the world of brute factuality, of humanistic man, the only possibility of true knowledge is where exhaustive knowledge exists, an impossibility. This means that knowledge is an impossibility on humanistic terms, and only a pragmatic and instrumental use of factuality can exist. However, 
even this perishes quickly because, without a purpose and without meaning, the pragmatic and instrumentalist approaches have no frame of reference and hence collapse. Because of this devotion to exhaustive knowledge, the universities of the past century multiplied courses. In part, this proliferation within the curriculum has been an aspect of academic empire building, but its rationale has been the goal of exhaustive knowledge. Supposedly, the more courses a university offers, the more adequately it prepares a student for life. As a result, it is not uncommon for a university with 30,000 students to have many courses attended by one to five students only. In a few cases, these courses are perhaps necessary, as witness a course in cuneiform or Assyrian language, but in most cases this student could learn the same things on his own and more quickly, in another course or without a teacher. Such courses, however, are regarded as the essence of a university and its prestige. They are imitated by many, if not all, colleges and they are not without their influence on elementary and secondary education. To emphasise, as against this, a basic curriculum with a perspective and knowledge rather than specialisation in a multiplicity of fields is to go against the trend of 20th century education. All the same, a principled education must be stressed as the only Christian method. Moreover, it must be asserted that the exhaustive method is dishonest. It supposedly defers all principles until all the facts are in, and it claims to be scientific and objective thereby. It does not, however, defer principles. It begins with the principle that there is no God, and of the ultimacy of autonomous man. Thus, the principle it believes an exhaustive knowledge will disclose is made the basis of operation at the beginning of its study. Against, as against this patent dishonesty and deceit, the Christian must begin with an open avowal of faith in the triune God of Scripture and his infallible word, and in the fact that, quote, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, end quote, John 1, 3. So that no fact can be truly known apart from him. As against this open act of faith, humanism begins with an avowal of pure research before principles are formulated, whereas, in fact, it predetermines those principles by an initial act of faith. Fourth, turning again to Van Til, we read concerning the office of Christ as priest. Again, the Catechism asks, quote, How does Christ execute the office of a priest? End quote. The answer is, quote, Christ executeth the office of a priest in his once offering up himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God, and in making continual intercession for us. End quote. We need not discuss this point except to indicate that Christ's work as priest cannot be separated from his work as prophet. Christ could not give us true knowledge of God and of the universe unless he died for us as priest. The question of knowledge is an ethical question at root. It is indeed possible to have theoretically correct knowledge about God without loving God. The devil illustrates this point. Yet what is meant by knowing God in scripture is knowing and loving God. This is true knowledge of God. The other is false. End quote. Christ, by his atonement, restores the elect to true knowledge, as Van Til has so extensively demonstrated. Quote, the question of knowledge is an ethical question at root. 
End quote. Man, in rebellion against God, is in rebellion against the very foundation of all true knowledge, and this fact must be basic to Christian education. No neutrality is possible. Because there are no neutral facts in the universe, only God-created facts, men either accept God's interpretation or they attempt, as their own gods, to create their own universe of meaning. Genesis 3, 5 The Christian school cannot take over the function of the church. It is not an agency for revivalism, evangelism or attempts at conversion. Its function is education. It must be insisted, however, that when the Christian school is faithful to its calling, it makes as telling a witness as any church ever has. The relationship of noetics to ethics, of knowing to morality, is normally regarded in pagan terms. It is held that man's supposedly autonomous reason is able to discern and to know reality without reference to his ethical status, that is, without reference to the fact that he is a sinner or a redeemed man. As against this, the orthodox Christian approach is that man's knowledge rests on a common religious premise with his ethical concepts. Man's entire outlook is coloured and determined by the fact that he is either a covenant keeper or a covenant breaker with God. The Christian school, by stressing the noetic effect of sin, cuts the ground out from under unbelief and makes clear the grounds of true knowledge. Of the office of Christ as king, the Catechism reads, quote, Christ executeth the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. End quote. Van Til here comments, quote, Again we observe that this work of Christ as king must be brought into organic connection with his work as prophet and priest. To give us true wisdom or knowledge, Christ must subdue us. He died for us to subdue us and thus give us wisdom. It is only by emphasizing this organic connection of the aspects of the work of Christ that we can avoid all mechanical separation of the intellectual and the moral aspects of the question of knowledge. End quote. We have already discussed man's dominion over himself, which is a product of Christ's dominion over us. A further fact needs to be noted. A basic premise of the humanistic rejection of the knowledge of God as first principle, in favour of man's autonomous mind as first principle on a quest for exhaustive knowledge, has been this aphorism. Knowledge is power. The meaning is that, as against God's omnipotence and omniscience, when man gains more and more knowledge towards the goal of exhaustive knowledge, he will gain power to a proportionate degree. With this, the orthodox Christian must dissent, holding, rather, that godly, principled knowledge gives power in that it enables us to better understand and use God's creation under God and to his glory. The purpose of Christian education is thus, very frankly, to enlarge the scope and extent of man's power under God. Power is not to be decried, but to be used. The enemies of Christian education know its potential for power, and with a world at stake, are determined to destroy it. Christian schools need to develop and expand the potential for power in Christian education. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts 
where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.